It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop building the game with Jason and friends. It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday. January 14th, 2024. It's still weird to say that. You're listening to episode 607. Hey, as always, I am your host, Jason, here today, joined by a friend, a game designer, uh, someone I know and you know too, and that is Jack Rosetree. Hello, Jack. Hello. It's good to have you back. Yeah, always happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, I, uh, we were chatting recently and I was like, we should get you back on the show again it's always fun so so uh yeah what have you what you been up to uh so yeah a lot um protospiel online is coming up this weekend and i'm making a sequel to my uh my one of my other games called it's complicated which was an intentionally overcomplicated game and now a I've big got... beautiful mess i think <laughs> is a good is. way to describe it <laughs> uh yeah um it's it's roll dice use the dice for worker placement and then the worker placement does things on a chessboard in a poker game uh in a snakes and ladders kind of racetrack uh and a resource collection board and now i have it's too complicated uh which is a bunch of heavy euro mechanics and you use those to claim squares on a bingo board. And if you get a bingo, you win. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, I, I've been working on that um, and then and looking for a job and also uh, putting together kind of a new uh, service program for writing and editing within the tabletop space, which is something we'll talk about a little bit more. Yeah. But uh, the last couple of days I've been in very fierce i need to get this prototype together so it's actually playable in time for protospiel and yesterday right. was was the day that i i got it to a point that it is playable i don't know if it's i mean good is not the right word but uh you know it might collapse in on itself like a dying Functional, star maybe <laughs> but i can explain the game to people and then have them do the game and that's that's the level that i needed it to be at that is an important level for a game to be at, that I can explain the game and then people can play it. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it, my, one of my favorite pitches from you about It's Complicated was it takes longer to explain it than it does to play it. Uh, and I love that because um, because that makes no sense. And um, yeah, yeah. And I would always avoid a board game that told me that. Uh, except for it's complicated because when it's the point, it kind of makes it it makes it cool. You know? Well, it, yeah, it was also very freeing because um, I tend to be somebody who designs from the minimum out. Uh, I will cut literally everything that I possibly can to get to that that essential core. Um, and so with this, it was like no, like there's no territory that I can't tread into. Um, and by expanding out, I, I came up with a bunch of weird mechanics that I actually kind of have started using in other designs. Um, one of the fun ones is actually uh, in, in the base, it's complicated. There's a mechanic where you can change the value of sevens to either everything or nothing. Mm -hmm. And everywhere in the game that sevens appear, they can either be wild or they can be literally nothing. And that can affect, you know, who's winning, who's losing you know, what kind of cards you have in your hand, all that kind of stuff. And that, that, that creates a very interesting meta layer to the game that I found very fun. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I've seen, it's complicated. I've never got to play it. The, uh, the game is beautiful. You gave me a copy, uh, at Gen Con and, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it's just gorgeous. So I can't wait to see, uh, how this turns out. Um, well, and, your, uh... and I also have to give, uh, credit to Maya Thomas for the design. Oh yeah. That. She uh, was a bang up on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. She put together the poster, um, put together the design. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Her work is always awesome. And mm-hmm. that was no exception to that work. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you mentioned, um, that you've been putting together some freelance stuff. So kind of what happened was you, uh, have been putting together freelance stuff. You've been trying to get it done and, um, and you finally kind of got it to the point where you thought it was ready and you, you sent it to some people. I happen to be one of those people. And you said, Hey, can you take a look at this and tell me what you're thinking? And, uh, I love looking through stuff like that. Um, and I like helping people out. So I was like, yeah, let me take a quick look. So I looked pretty quickly and, started reading through it. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is good stuff. It's a, it's a good range of, uh, things you can do for mm-hmm. people, things people can hire you for, but it's not too much. Um, cause I've seen that before where it's like, I can literally do anything you're asking for. Right. You right. know, like, and it's like, well, sure. But are you the person to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, but like a lot of the stuff you had listed in there was all stuff that was um, it made sense, and uh, and I I responded to you and said, hey, this looks great. I think this makes sense. I think the prices are all very fair. And then you replied and said, thanks. Um, pricing is really hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it is right. Like <laughs> with freelancing and the work that that any of us do. When we're freelancing, I mean, that includes a lot of our game design stuff is freelancing. You know, any work we do in this industry feels mostly like freelancing. So, um, so it was just like, you know, it would be, it, it, that might be an interesting thing to discuss. Like what, mm-hmm. you know, how you kind of go through the process of trying to figure out what the pricing is, but then also, you know, like kind of, you know, we're not, I'm not. I don't think we're looking for like best practices here. Right. Cause you'd said before we started talking, like I'm not an expert in this. And I said, what is an expert even in this? Right. Like, mm-hmm. how are you an expert in pricing things for freelance work? Like, cause it's so subjective as to yeah. what you feel your time is worth and what you feel comfortable charging. Um, at least in my opinion, I think that that's, you know, what a lot of yeah. it is. Well, and, and one of my big focuses uh, is is accessibility for people that um, wouldn't normally be able to afford these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really hard to price myself in a way that, like, I'm getting paid what I should by a company that has money, but I'm also not pricing somebody out of the market that needs these services and needs help. And uh, I used right. to do uh, these... Um, video reviews and previews of board games uh way back i don't know eight or nine years ago mm-hmm. um and they required a lot of work uh they like i actually kind of did a little bit of animation um they were on uh lined yellow paper uh and i never actually showed the game it was all drawn out in sharpie um mm-hmm. and and the videos did very well but they were they were incredibly tedious to make and so yeah. uh one video took about 40 hours of work and i was pricing them at for most for most clients uh 400 bucks which you know for some clients is a huge amount of money to invest in a video about your game mm-hmm. um 
but when you're looking at it taking 40 hours, that was $10 an hour for me. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, realistically, there are other things that add on to that or, you know, I like I run into issues that that push it out to 45, 50 hours and suddenly I'm not making that much money. Um, right. Right. And, you know, for for a big company, four hundred dollars, you know, on a really good marketing video is not that much. But for right. somebody who, you know, at the time, Kickstarter was a little more friendly to independent uh, developers and and people that wanted to self-publish dropping $400 on a video for a Kickstarter that you didn't know was going to succeed is a really hard thing to do. Um, Yeah, for sure. You know, the value there looks very dubious and whatnot. And so, you know, I kind of, I I burnt myself out because I just was doing way too many videos trying to make the, the, the equation work. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, I'm not making that much money. And so, looking at this, I really needed to sit down and say, okay, I need to protect myself from burnout. I need to make sure that I'm making enough money to make the time worth it. But how do I price it in a way that, you know, independent designers, developers, et cetera, aren't priced out of the market. And we can talk about the specific prices if you want, but ultimately my decision was, you know what, if I know somebody is an independent designer, I'm just going to talk to them openly and we'll negotiate a price that works for them. Um, but otherwise I'm going to lean on the protecting myself from working for, um, lower than minimum wage is, is a major focus. Right. Yeah. I, you know, you were talking about the, the 400 bucks for a video. Like I remember, gosh, this was 20 years ago or so. This was Mm -hmm. a long time ago, but like, I remember when I would, um, I used to, uh, shoot wedding videos mm-hmm. like so you'd go to the wedding you'd shoot the video um edit it make a thing make copies and we would charge like it was pretty average to charge around two thousand dollars for something like that right which like you said sounds like a crazy amount of money but when you realize like there are three people at your wedding for like four plus hours generally for everything mm-hmm. right to record everything record stuff in the reception do all the stuff you're paying those people to be there then you're going back and you're spending an average of, we figured it was about 40 hours or so um, on the initial edit. Um, sometimes there were special requests. Sometimes there were things that make it took even lo- take even longer, um, you know, and then you're making these copies for people and they're getting DVDs or Blu-rays. Cause that's what we used to do back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. And like that money went past real quickly. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, also, you're working to do it on the weekends generally because you're doing all the editing and stuff during the week, you know, and the, the events around the weekend. So it's it's interesting how um, we think about pricing on those things. You know, when you're paying someone for the education they have, for the skills they have, for the technology they have. In our case, that was three fairly expensive cameras to be able to run with backup stuff, you know. and mm-hmm. um, And so I think that, you know, people a lot of times don't think about all the costs that go into something, right? Um, they just think like, hey, this is this is too expensive. Um, and and I think that it's important to, to make a distinction. I'll say this and then I'll shut up for a minute. <laughs> to make a distinction between um, what's a fair price and what is affordable to someone. Um, I have consistently over the years... Um, reached out to different artists for little projects here and there. 
And like, I've been really open about like, Hey, here's what I can afford in my budget. If, if that's not what you charge, like if you charge more than that, that's totally fine. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, if it's too much more and I can't swing it, then that's okay. Like no hard feelings. Like you should charge what you're worth. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. Right. Like we just, we just will, I'll find someone else and you'll work on a different project. And like, you know, people have to be willing to charge what they believe they're worth. But then also the, the other side of that is like you were pointing out, um, is that there are people who you want to help who can't necessarily afford, um, to pay as much for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's different, right? That is a different thing than, um, you know, when I was doing coaching full-time, I, I did a a stint during COVID where I didn't charge pretty much anyone because at that Mm -hmm. point I was like, everyone is kind of in a hardship. Everyone who I'm coaching, they were, (laughs) a lot of them were like stuck trying to figure out what to do with their career because things were changing so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, well, you know what? Um, let me just help you for free. Like, let me just do this pro bono because, um, because I don't want to take your money right now. I just want to help. Right. Um, now, normally I would absolutely take their money if they, if they were a client who could afford that. Right. Because I also need to make a living. Um, so it's just, I think it's a really complex issue and that's why it's hard to say like, I'm an expert at setting prices and these are what your prices should be. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, because there's, there's, there's two extra sides to that. I want to throw out there. One is, is there's a price of getting it done and then there's a price of getting it done. Right. And (laughs) like, you know, you talk about, you talk about your wedding video stuff. Like you could pay cousin Vinny to come out with a camcorder and hope for the best. We and, did get no. that comment a lot. I could have it. I would be like, I was like, that's great. You should do that then. Like, if that's better for you, you should absolutely do that. Like, um, yeah. And so, you know, and especially like, like with uh, proofreading services and writing services that, that the way I've priced it is by the word, you know, a lot of companies can very easily look at like a, pro- a program like Grammarly or, mm-hmm. you know, outsourcing to there's, there's proofreading companies that do it for like right. two cents a word or one cent a word. Um, it's just insanely cheap because the gig economy is a nightmare, um, Indeed. which is its own thing. And, you know, yes, like you can go get that done, but you're not having somebody who actually understands tabletop games looking at your stuff. You're not, right. Un- right. you're not having somebody who understands the context of the, of the text itself. Um, and there's a lot of places where normal writing rules don't apply to these things that we are conveying because, you know, I, I, I compare it to the, uh, the, the book from Beetlejuice, you know, it, it should read like stereo instructions. Like it needs to be very straightforward, very clean. Like people need to understand it. Their first read through, if somebody is reading a sentence more than one time in your rule book, you've got a problem and, and you've got a lot of issues that are running into that. Um, There was something else I was going to throw out and I I've gone on such a tangent now. I, I totally forgot, but um, yeah, it's, it's, really difficult to kind of come up with um good pricing overall mm-hmm. um and you know at the same time like like again because we live in a, a nightmare of capitalism mm-hmm. you know i don't want to pass up the opportunity to get poorly paid work just because sometime down the line i might get correctly paid work right right that 
That is a really good point. We need to, I want to come back to that, but I want to just pop. So let's remember that. I want to, I want to pop in and say, you mentioned things like Grammarly. Um, So I've mentioned this before in the podcast. I have Grammarly. I have a a pro membership to it. I use it mostly because I'm writing papers for my master's stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just, I'm, I'm a solid writer, but I'm a solid writer who uh, sometimes messes up grammar stuff. Right. And so like being able to have something to say like, Hey, this, this, this looks stupid. Don't do it this way. To be able to have something quickly do that, you know, that I pay, uh, I don't, it's, it's not a lot. I want to say it's yeah. less than a hundred bucks a year. Um, I yeah. think it may be mar- quite a bit less than that, but, um, but that's useful. Um, but I've also put it out before that I, I one time was writing some rules and it popped up. It was like, let me help you write these rules. And I thought, let's see what you do with this. I bet you're <laughs> bad at this. And it was absolutely abysmal at it. Mm-hmm. Because the way we write things is not necessarily following a typical grammatically correct structure. I mean, we're trying to follow like grammar rules, but we also have to be very specific about how we speak about things. Because like you said, it needs to be inst- clear. It needs to be stereo instructions, right? And and there's some simple grammar rules we should be following for that. But any suggestions it might have about how to make something more clear Mm-hmm. is almost always wrong. I've never had it be correct. And I've, I've tried it a few times, mostly just because I was curious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, even that, like when it comes to, I had to write this this really big racial autobiography. Um, and I, I, I wrote it. I used Grammarly as I wrote it. I usually like write a couple paragraphs and go back and see what it thinks. Um, I, you know, like, oh, you spelled this wrong or, oh, these words are stupid. Um, but then when I was done, I had my wife go back through and read it as a human reading it, Mm. a human who knew that story and was able to say like, yo, this sounds good or this doesn't because there's some contextual stuff that a thing like Grammarly is never going to catch, Mm. you know, because it's just not there. Maybe someday it'll be there, but for now it's not there. And, um, and really I think, you know, you're paying with a person like somebody like you, you're, you're paying for that specific expertise, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and you're not getting that with a general solution, right? So yeah. Now, what was the thing I said we needed to come back to? Uh, well, so I, I have something I want to throw out there. Okay. Go Uh, for it. Do you remember the thing we're supposed to come back to though? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cause I don't, Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so one thing I want to throw out there because, because I hear this a lot is everybody needs an editor. Um, even editors need editors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, like it doesn't matter how good you think you are at writing a second set of eyes will always make it better. Um, so, so don't ever feel like, you know, some like that person writes, they shouldn't make mistakes in their writing. That's definitely not how things work. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then the other thing is, uh, so, in pricing, uh, what I was saying was I don't want to price myself out of getting poorly paid work right. when the alternative is no work. And that's a really hard thing to deal with, um, especially like right now. I'm unemployed. I have essentially no income. You know, I'm, I'm in a privileged situation where I can't afford to be unemployed for longer. Um, but again, you know, getting poorly paid work will help that situation more than not getting any work and pricing myself correctly. Right. Right. Yeah. And that is the, that's kind of, you know, along those lines of what we were talking about, um, of what to come back to. I think that, um, 
there is something to be said, you know, people, this is a huge taboo in the, in any sort of work, you know, like, well, I'm doing it for the exposure or I'm doing it for the experience, <laughs> right? Like offering to pay someone with exposure and experience is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, have actually had people offer that for wedding videos and or wedding photography. Um, like your dumb wedding is not going to be, you know what I mean? Like and if you're, <laughs> if you're important enough that that exposure would be meaningful to me, then you should also be wealthy enough to pay me a fair rate. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but I, I do think that, there are times when as a creator, as a freelancer, you will say, I'm doing this for the exposure. I'm doing this for the experience. I'm doing this to build a client list. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's different because that's a choice you're making. You're saying, Hey, I'll do this work for you cheap. um, You know, as long as I can put you on my client list and I can, um, you know, uh, I can you know, market that I've done this work for you. Right. And then I know that you'll tell people when they see this work, that it was me that did it. Right. And if that's something I at least believe, maybe you disagree, but I think that if that's something that you want to do as a freelancer to help build your repertoire, I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because at least you're getting paid something rather than, you know, I'm just going to build a big port, you know, somebody like Maya, who is in school for this stuff, she was able to build a portfolio through school, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm a person who knows how to do this, and uh, well, like you, like as an editor, right? Like, like, I will edit your stuff. I've edited a ton of stuff. But if you don't actually have, like, here are the list of games I've worked on, you know, mm-hmm. um, then you don't have the, you don't have their repertoire to call on, even though you have all the experience in the world that you could need. Um, and sometimes you need both to get those better paying gigs. Am I, I mean, do you, do you agree with that? Am I? Yeah. I, to, to a degree, I, I will say, um, I don't think work should ever be completely unpaid. Um, oh, I, I'm I, with I, that too. I mean, unless, yeah. unless you're doing it pro bono for someone who something you believe in, Right. Yes. Like, like, you know. like if there's a nonprofit out there that needs, right. you know, right. some editing here or there. Um, and, and I know that it's the difference between the work being done or not done, then I have a decision right. to right. make, but you do like, again, there, there's a certain amount of privilege in being able to do work for free. And mm-hmm. what you are doing is you are taking paid work away from yes. the entire yes. circle yes. of work that is being done. Yes. And for you, that might be fine, but you are devaluing the work for those that actually need to do it for pay. And that is a really difficult area to deal with. There's two examples that come to mind with that, that I think are, are pretty compelling. One is the unpaid internship, which is the biggest Mm. load of crap ever. Right. Right. The idea that like, you should be able to work an unpaid internship to earn your stripes. That's absolutely stupid. It is, um, it is, you know, unfair towards people of classes that, you know, lower classes that could not afford or, you know, less ability to pay for things. Right. Um, like in, when I say lower class, I I mean, lower economic classes, just to be clear. Um, I think that like, you know, and also anyone should get paid for their work, but the idea that I can be like, well, you know, I mean, like take your, um, you're unemployed right now. And like you said, you're in a, a privileged position to where you can survive that, right? You mm-hmm. and your partner have enough, uh, money to, to take care of that for now. Right. I've been in that situation as well. And 
not everybody gets that situation. So, you know, when one of us sees like, hey, this is an unpaid internship you could do. Um, and you're like, well, I'm going to do it. You know, or they say, hey, this is a paid internship. Uh, and you're like, well, hey, if you pick me, I'll do it for free. Right. right. That's some crap right there. Right. Because now you've just taken someone out who's going to get paid for that. Right. You've also um, set a precedent that every future person in that possible position right, may also right. be unpaid. Um, there's another thing I want to throw out there, though. This is really you talked about devaluing the other work people were doing. And this is a like a concrete piece we can point at in the game design industry that I thought was handled really, really well. So Doug Lewandowski, um, who's a RPG designer, has put out a lot of stuff on his own just for fun. He, I, I think he does less of it now because he's, he's gotten bigger geeks he's worked on. But back in the day, he would consistently make these little tiny RPGs and he would charge like a buck for them, right? Because he was like, it doesn't matter, right? So he would throw my Kickstarter for a, a dollar a copy. Nothing wrong with charging that little for a game, uh, depending on what your goal is. But he was putting out these small, fully formed RPG games, right? Um, he put a lot of work into them, but he just felt like for what you're getting a buck is fine. That's fine with me. Um, so, and somebody pointed out to him, um, and he posted about this. Uh, that's why I'm talking about it. It's not like he told mm -hmm. me this personally. Somebody pointed out that, Hey man, you're devaluing the work of other people who are trying to do what you're doing, who need this to sell for five bucks or 10 bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is, that's not, that's not great. And he basically was like, Hey, that's true. You're right. Uh, from now on, I'm going to charge five bucks for these instead of a dollar. Um, which I was like, good for you. Like to do that. I want to point out that I'm not discounting something like Bez is doing that. We talked about in the last episode where you're charging two bucks for this thing. Right. Um, because it's, it's different, right? First of all, what she's mm -hmm. doing is this experiment of like, what if we worked on this game? You know, I worked on this game based on your feedback you know, basically you're buying in for playtesting so that you can test out the game and we can make the game better as you play it and you get immediate access to it. And I think that's different and that's a cool experiment. Um, but I understand the other argument of just what Doug was talking about. So yeah, those uh, are some thoughts I have on that. Yeah. So I have something to add to that story. Um, I think the last or one of the last uh, RPGs that Doug sold for a dollar uh, I co-designed and co-wrote with him. Oh, <laughs> which of course was well before I knew you. I didn't even know uh -huh. you knew Doug. That's hilarious. I yeah. Yeah. Uh, Doug and I worked together on an RPG called in name only where your, yes. your character is based on the letters in your real life, actual name. Yes. Uh, we did a very brief Kickstarter. We sold it for a dollar um, and we had a $2 tier which said, hey, if you back this for $2, we will allow you to use a name that is not your real life name in the RPG. And it was just a totally made up thing. Yeah, It was part of the make 100. Um, so, you know, uh -huh. we were viewing it as like, this is just a silly thing, but it was a fully complete like written RPG. It was like, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe a 25, 30 page document. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, that we were selling for a dollar and and at that time doug was the bigger name than me uh between the two of us and somebody came to doug and was like hey this is kind of not cool and uh yeah absolutely 100 we were devaluing what else is on the market because there are people that 
if they see a thing for a dollar and they see a thing for five dollars it doesn't matter how much better that thing for five dollars is if they're both rpgs they're going to say oh right the, the, right the dollar thing um, and not to mention that the thing for a dollar might actually be better right mm-hmm. like it could actually be better um it's just you know like um yeah yeah like it's it's just you decided to charge less for it right 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 and and so that was where um, some of that came from, and that definitely formed my decision making about how I priced some of my future RPGs from mm-hmm. there. Because I've done similar stuff and and priced it very very low compared to the amount of work that went into it. And at some point, somebody else set me down, and this wasn't related to devaluing the stuff on the market, but they basically said, "Okay, here's the amount that you made from all of the sales of this game. Mm-hmm. Now take the number of hours you put into making that game and." divide don't, don't that do it. out and i was don't like do it. and it was like 40 cents an hour that's honestly better than <laughs> in some cases it would be right 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 i mean like but again you know i could have priced it like i i think i priced it at like two dollars if i had priced it at you know five or six dollars it would have tripled the amount or i would have needed you know a quarter of the people necessary to to do the thing but um yeah, so so absolutely 100%. Like if if you are in a privileged position where you can price yourself really really low and and that's something else that's going on with AI and everything else like mm-hmm. the value of everything goes down and companies right. are going to right. you know accept crappy work if it means that they pay, you know, in some cases 10 or 20% of what they would do a do a real artist that does the stuff for real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, yeah, that, I mean, there's so many things around this to consider that I hadn't even thought of yet. I mean, there's like, like you said, the AI stuff. I mean, that mm-hmm. is all, whew, there's just so much of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reason I'm unemployed in the first place right now is that my company came to me and said, Hey, we would rather pay somebody in another country, almost nothing to do your job poorly than pay you the, correctly to do the job well right. um that was like word for word what they said and so for me it was like well that sucks um you know there's nothing i can do about that yeah you're like, like how am i gonna compete with that you know i can't compete literally can't that's the whole point right <laughs> right um yeah but yeah, and i mean that so that is a whole different thing though right and i you may have mentioned that on the show before i remember you had mentioned that to me as a thing that was said to you but mm-hmm. like the idea of like I'm willing to pay someone for less quality, so thinking about because I was gonna just bash that, but there's a good and a bad for that, right? So like, well, it's yeah, I mean that's the cousin Vinny with a camcorder option. And, well, but you know, not always, not always. Let me yeah. let me let me fight you on this one, okay? I will okay. die on this hill. I'm not <laughs> actually, but I, this is something where I I think I have a point that there's a good disagreement point here, and that is that um. When you think about art and artists, right? If I want to go out and get let's 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 exclude like the the Quanchai's of the world, right? Because Quanchai is an amazing artist, but I think we can all agree that Quanchai has become like the Nike, right? Like you're paying more for the name Quanchai and for the fact that Quanchai Mariah will sell more games for you because people know his art right Mm -hmm. um so let's exclude like him let's just take 
a really solid artist um, who does really good work. It's very, very professional, right? Um, and what they would charge. And an artist who's a professional does a good job. But, like, I mean, we all know, right? When we see art, there's some art on games where you're like, wow, I bet they paid a lot for that art because that artist is woo. And then other times we're like, oh, that art's pretty good. Like, that was probably not as expensive, right? Like, I don't, there's nothing wrong with a smaller game or a game that is not going to have tons of capital to pay an artist who charges less because of their skill, right? Mm -hmm. And what they'll do compared to an artist who charges more because of their skill and what they can do. Am I, I mean, am I off base on that? Uh, no, I, I think the difference is that I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, going to, an artist that again if an artist is charging correctly for the skill that they bring to the table um that is very different than going to a college student convincing them to do it for free exposure oh yeah and, yeah 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 you know it, or or you know outsourcing it to ai which is something that a lot right. of companies are really considering because the price is right. basically nothing compared or, to you know, as you pointed out, like outsourcing your job to another country where they can pay someone less, right? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a lot to unpack from that. Um, right. That, right. that I'm not going to get into because. Uh, oh, yeah. Know, yeah. But... I mean, well, because I mean, like, well, here's, here's the question I think that we have to ask ourselves of things like that. You know, we, the company I used to work for back in the mortgage industry, one of the big things they loved to do was outsource call centers to India. Right. Mm -hmm. um, in India, you know, like, like not, I'm not generalizing India as a country. I'm saying like in the environments where they were, I mean, they had literally had like call center schools that mm -hmm. like training schools that someone could go to, they would go to the school, they would learn all the stuff um, and then they would do the job. Right. And the U S people would pay less to them for that job. Um, and I think to me, the big thing as to whether or not that's ethical is not are you taking a job away from someone in america because humans are humans everybody yep. needs a job right yep. the, the big thing is are you paying the person equitably for the market that they're living in i guess right are you are you paying a living wage yeah you know regardless um, of where the job is going right right so like you know if you're paying them a very very low rate because they'll take that and even though they're going to be, you know, working poor, basically, uh, it's better than nothing, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's not cool. But if you're paying them a rate that is fair, they can live a good life, they have a livable wage. Um, like, that's, I see that as different, right? I mean, I, there was, there's one company, I can't remember who it is, and they consistently use an artist who is, she's from... One of the Eastern European countries, I don't remember which one, and I, I probably wouldn't say anyway, so I don't want to like name this artist, but like the company like was afraid they were going to get some flack for picking her because so many people have went to those other countries trying to get art cheaper because people will charge less for it. And like this person is just an amazing artist. Like I don't know what they pay them, but I'm mm -hmm. confident they would hire them in the US or whatever country they were in, right? Because they make amazing art. It fits the style of what this company is trying to do. Um, and I don't know what the cost is, but I do know that they've worked with this artist several times and continue to have a strong relationship with them. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's different than when we're farming out work 
to people who are being treated poorly. Um, and there have been some board game companies, I think, that have done a good job of taking trips over to China um, to check on the manufacturing companies they're working with to ensure that the people there are being taken care of. They're being paid well, you know, um, and only agreeing to work with companies that are doing that, right? Mm -hmm. um, some of the, several of the bigger companies have done that. And I, I super respect that, right? Um, yeah. Because the fact is we don't have the infrastructure to make some of the things here um, for various reasons um, that they have in other countries, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that all feeds into a conversation about, you know, ethical outsourcing and, yes. and just generally yes. treating the market, you know, appropriately, you know, like you said, we're all humans, like right. an amount right. of money that I need to survive to somebody who might be outsourced in another country could be change your life kind of money. And so, you know, I'm not going to be upset if a company goes with that other person and pays right. them that change their life money. But if that if they if that job goes over to something that is exploitative that's a very different conversation you know uh, oh agreed absolutely again, you know the companies that do that offer proofreading for a penny per word and they're either doing it through ai or they're paying people almost nothing and right you know right. It, again gig economy kind of nightmare stuff right that's a very different thing and and that's right it's right. it's hard to know where your money should go in those situations Right. I, the other thing I think is worth pointing out is that, like, when you look at the board game industry, and this is from my perspective, I am more than happy. And if I'm wrong, go to the BTG Discord and tell me that I'm wrong. But, like, you know, a lot of the outsourcing of, of board game uh, manufacturing to other countries, especially China, um, is about keeping the price and the profit of the board game workable, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because there's not a huge margin of profit on board games. Like you can make a ton of money. Uh, you got to sell a lot of games, right? Um, and so like, that's one thing, right? Like if they were to produce those same games in America, the price of the games would have to go up or the companies would make a lot less money um, to the point where maybe they can't, survive right i mean they're already not paying designers well enough but um most of them uh i'm not bitter uh but anyways uh like <laughs> when you look at like you know a company that i worked for or a company like apple right that are like having these these very unethical places make your phone um they they're doing that to maximize profits right they're not doing that to stay afloat they're doing it literally just to make gobs of money right Right. Um, um, anyways, I really think that there's a lot of ethical concerns around a lot of this and we super got to think about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what, what all of this feeds into ultimately is, um, you need an editor for your board game. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, like uh, whoever you are going to, uh, you know, um, there's just there's a lot of uh, directions that can go. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, the the overall conversation, um, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going with it. <laughs> I just uh, this was this was a very heavy topic. So I. Uh... Yeah, no. Yeah. But I mean, like, let's pull it back around. So, like, yes, you do need to like every board game. Everything you are writing or creating that will be published 
needs a second set of eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Preferably a second set of eyes that is good at the thing you're asking them for, right? Right. Um, Like, because like you said, you know, in in so many ways, it's easy to have AI look at something, but it doesn't catch everything, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And and like you said, editors need editors um, because we all need someone else to step in and say, you know, with outside opinion and really look at something uh, for clarity, you know, and in some of the things you have listed on your, um, on your uh, sheet, uh, I'm just trying to pull it back up here and I've got 77 windows open and none of them are the right one. Maybe we can find it. We cannot. Um, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> i pulled it up but i don't know where it went i'm gonna be honest it just it disappeared on me thank you for the link <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i literally have no idea where i pulled it up at some at some point i'm gonna be doing something else and boom there's gonna be jack's stuff right there mm-hmm. <laughs> um like you you offer like consultation um for people mm-hmm. to like discuss the game and their rules and stuff I think that is fantastic. Like being able to sit down with someone and and do that. Um, Rules proofreading and rules writing. You have a rules writing, which um, I'm not going to say what you're charging for, but it's not nearly enough based on how much swearing (laughs) I do when I write rules. Um, So I I don't mind saying it if, if, uh, if you don't mind broadcasting. I don't care. I don't, it's up to you. I kind of want, wanted it to be front and center on my website just because I want it to be transparent. I I love that. I love I want other people in the industry to recognize how valuable this is because I know a few people that also do rules, writing rules, proofreading. Um, and, and, I don't think anybody in the industry is charging enough. Um, but for rules proofreading, I do six cents a word. And for rules writing, I do 15 cents a word. Um, and the rules writing kind of Im- includes a pass, uh, a, a proofreading pass. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the main folk, the way that I kind of narrowed that down is that's, that's roughly the industry um, uh, going rate for technical writing, which the rule books are at, absolutely technical writing um in some ways they need to be more specific than actual technical writing right right Um, (laughs) but uh yeah that's that's kind of how i zeroed in on those um again if i'm working with uh uh uh, diversity equity uh inclusivity uh individuals i'm happy to bring those rates down a little bit um but the main goal was to set a little bit of a precedent and say this is what people in this industry should be charging for this type of work um, because when a rule book is bad it can fundamentally ruin a board game um, yeah i've seen mean, it I, happen i will not say the company involved but i i had a particularly bad rule book experience with one game and at this point and and the result was not only did we not buy that game which we were considering purchasing um but we also have never looked at another game from that company since. And maybe they've gotten better. I don't know. But it it does fundamentally shade the way that you look at the work that they do if their rule book is shoddy, problematic, you know, whatever. Um, in this case, right. the rules were so unclear that we literally could not play the game. It wasn't even that we could play the game poorly. We just couldn't play the game. Yeah, yeah. I've had that happen before with rules, and you're just like, what What were you thinking when you were writing this? <laughs> like, 
you know, did anyone else read this? Yeah, I I worked for a client a while ago. Again, I'm not going to name names, but um, they did not tell me that the game that they had designed was based on another game. So I did not understand a lot of mechanics that they were trying to include. Mm -hmm. And the resulting rule book is, um, I I don't want to say it's my worst work, um, but it is not work I'm super proud of because the writing process was so problematic as a result of just me not understanding the game. I thought I did. Um, and I've since heard from people who have played the game. Oh man, that rule book's so bad. And I'm like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're like, there I were reasons. Yeah. Um, that, and that's tough. I mean, that is, here's the thing about writing rules that I've learned over the years. It's that writing rules is not easy, but writing rules really is a muscle. And the more you do it, the, mm-hmm. the better you get at it. Like, I would never hire someone to write rules for me because I have a way that I like to write rules and I I, I would do that. Would I hire someone to proofread them and, or, you know, do some clarity looking at them a hundred percent, because that is something that is so important, especially if I was going to publish it on my own, right. Mm -hmm. You know, wanting someone to do, uh, to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and especially like if you're looking at crowdfunding, um, there's a certain percentage of the market that wants to see your rule book before they make that Mm -hmm. choice to invest in your crowdfund. And if your rule book is, you know, arcane, impossible to understand hieroglyphics, they're not going to back your game. Um, And if you send out demo copies to reviewers and your rule book is a mess, your reviewers aren't going to know what to say about your game. Um, and And I've seen that happen before Mm -hmm. where reviewers bomb a game because they just don't understand it, you know, and, and that's on both, right? The reviewers should be clarifying, but like the rules should also be, the rules should have been read and tested by people, which Mm -hmm. makes me think of the next section you have where you have things like conveyance testing, which includes unguided play testing, Mm -hmm. development testing and balance testing. You know, I think conveyance testing, which is actually the cheapest option you offer on here, Mm -hmm. um, is like, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like if I, um, uh, if I had a game that I was going to self-publish and I needed some, like, I hate trying to get the testing done, like that kind of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. having to be able to hire someone and just be like, all right, I sent you money. Now it's your problem. (laughs) Come back and give me the feedback. It's so exciting to me. Uh, um, yeah, and and I have to admit, um, conveyance testing is is a term I made up myself. Uh, it's it, good though. I get, I got what it meant. It conveyed its meaning to me. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, yeah, because I I think that you know there uh, there's a lot of people that recognize the value of of you know blind or unguided play testing depending on your preference. Uh-huh. Um, but just sitting down and having players play your your game. Um, and seeing if they can do the mechanical execution of it, that is one layer. But the second layer is, does the game actually convey the value system that it presents to the players? And if right, players right. can't perceive the synergy that your game offers, or they can't tell like that gems are actually more valuable than wood in your game, then right, that's right. that's a layer that really needs to be looked at and how you 
convey the game to the player, especially right. the first time around. If players don't see depth in your game um, at a glance without even playing it, that's a problem. You know, mm -hmm. again, a lot of games, um, you know, can die on the vine just because reviewers don't perceive the va the value that your game presents or the cool things that your game right. can do. Right. I'm curious for like, for my own personal reasons, um, mm -hmm. like with unguided playtesting, what if it's a game you've already tested for someone? Is that what you are basically then finding people to test it with and you're getting them to do the unguided portion? Or... Yeah. So, so, so for the conveyance testing, I will already know the game. I'm not going to teach it, but I can't appropriately evaluate right, whether the right, game has right, conveyed right, itself right. if I don't know right. how the game plays. Um, cool. So it's more me sitting with other people, handing them the rule book and saying, okay, um, I want you to teach the game to this person. And mm -hmm. then I would want this person to explain the game to me. And it's not about sitting and playing the game because I you, know, you right. can get that play testing anywhere. It's about, you know, understanding the game really is what right. it comes down to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Yeah, I could see that being super useful for anything that I wanted to self-publish mm -hmm. because it's a great way to have some, you know, some sanity checks on is this correct? Um, like what I'm saying is it is it do people get it, you know? Right. And 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 I'll say like that is testing that I encourage everybody to do even on their own. Like I can right, do it in right. a very pointed way. You could pay me to do that. That's great. Um, but have somebody take your rule book who doesn't know it, have them teach somebody else and then have that somebody else basically teach the game to you. Right. And right. you will pick up a lot of problem areas in the right. teach right. that you can try to address with your next edit. And I think what I love about it and why I would mostly consider using it, the two reasons are one, because it's a pain in the butt trying to facilitate <laughs> that stuff. But the other big thing is, and the thing that I'll pretend is the main reason for me is that, it um it takes me out of the equation mm -hmm. so as somebody who like if i'm self publishing a game there's a chance that i'm going to feel kind of precious about said game right because it's a game that i really believe in i want to you know blah 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 like mm -hmm. so taking it out of it and having you be able to come back and say no man they didn't like there were some problems they didn't get this right. or this <laughs> or this like and multiple people have this issue then i can go okay, so these are actual problems. Great. You know, I mean, not great, but like it, it gives, it takes away um, the, the problem of you being too invested in your own game, I think. Right, right. Well, and that's why, and, and this is something that some people will absolutely disagree with, but the playtesting that I run, the, the designer is not there for. They are not, right. yeah. they're not sitting on the sidelines. They're not watching. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is that I want the playtesters to be really, really frank with me. Um, I want them to speak clearly. But right, I also, right. like, I need to focus on the playtest. Um, I need to focus on, you know, what the results are, what everybody's doing. I don't need, a, you know, the client to be there either clarifying things or jumping in on right, various right. things. Like, you know, I've got very specific kind of checklists of what I want to get out of the testing. Right. Um, and the entire test is focused on that. And, and right. some people absolutely would have a problem with that. Um, I had, um, one individual that thought that blind play testing meant that the designer is never there, which I, I thought was a weird, um, 
interpretation? No, I mean, a lot of times <laughs> for, for the unguided playtest, the designer sits right there and watches right. you do it. Right. They just refuse to help you, which I think is really annoying. I completely get it. But like, you I, know... I think they should be there as guardrails, you know, right, like, right. like, yes. like, okay, the, the players have made a mistake. You step in, you correct the mistake, you note what the mistake was. Right. Um, perhaps more importantly, you note where the players looked in the rule book to try and correct the mistake, because that will tell you where you should put the answer to that mistake. Um, and then you correct them and let them move on. Um, but that's also why, like, I don't think, um, I think getting uh, unguided playtesting for an entire game is not as important as that initial onboarding. Yeah. You know, I, does I the rule book get yeah. its point across? Yeah. And that's really what's important yeah, because again, that's, that's your marketing tool. That's your sales tool. That's your first impression of the game. You know, if somebody brings your game to a game night and plays it with six people and they all have a, a terrible time, not a single one of those other six people is going to tell anybody else they should buy the game. Um, these things kind of sprawl out. Um, but, you know, a really clean first experience and players will go out and tell other players to buy your game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agree. So um, you've also got development testing and balance testing. I think mm -hmm. most people should understand what that is. Um, and I mean, I've always said, like, you should not develop your own game. Um, I think that you can be a really good designer and you can be a really good developer, but I always think that having someone else do development on your game, even if it's just a little is really important because, mm -hmm. uh, if you, I, here's what I like, <laughs> this is a crappy way to put it, but if you disagree with me, I would challenge you that it's because you're too wrapped up in your game. Uh, which is why you should have someone else do it for you. Because... Right. Well, and and this this feeds back into the unguided playtesting. But as the designer, certain things are going to be self evident to you that will not be self evident to other people. Um, yeah. Or there will be certain things that you don't consider a step that other players will consider a step. And yes, yes. Sometimes you either get rid of it. Sometimes you change it. But um, and this this is an also an area where I think getting rid of what I consider guardrails and band-aids is a good, is a good point. Um, and by those, I mean uh, s rules and mechanics that only answer one issue in your game and are only there to address one issue in your game. Um, a lot of designers don't always recognize when they have band-aids or guardrails in their game and development is mm -hmm. a good way to like find ways around those or, um, in some cases, turn those into their own viable mechanics. Um, right. Which is, I mean, there's there's a lot about design theory there. But, um, you know, if you have something that is a speed bump, you can flatten it out or you can turn it into its own obstacle. And not everybody always recognizes that there are, that both approaches are viable. Mm -hmm. Yep. Agreed. Um, and then the last thing you put on here that you offer, which I love because I hate doing this is that you for uh, a range of prices would put a game into a virtual tabletop software. Uh, and I think that's fantastic because, well, because putting stuff into tabletop <laughs> software is not fun unless you know what you're doing. And uh, it's one of those things where if you can pay someone to do it and that's within your budget, 
that's just super helpful. Yeah, and, and that's something that that I kind of offer just as a like, if you don't have the ability to do it yourself, I'll do it so that we can do play testing. But you know, I and and I very I think I I even specifically say like this is not for marketing and promotion. This is literally me just sitting down, sticking your game in a virtual environment so that it can be play tested by me, by you, by whoever. Um, right. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, because I and and I think that there are designers out there that still try to keep everything physical and do not use virtual environments. And I cannot tell you how valuable virtual playtesting is for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. One is that although people tend to think that games take longer uh, virtually, um, once people know what they're doing, they mostly don't. Um, but also, you you now have access to a playtesting community that spans the entire world. Uh, you don't just have the playtesting community that you can access in your local environment, which makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah, yeah. And you have another section on your website that's free, everybody. So a reason to go check that out. By the way, your website is jackrosetree.wixsite.com. Um, but uh, you've got this, uh, the game design self-diagnostic. Mm -hmm. And I really like this. I <laughs> I've been I've been hoping to get some feedback from some people uh, just to like make sure that it, it hits kind of all the all the zones. But uh, yeah, so I, I've been shortening it to the GDSD. And the main goal is here's 10 questions. It'll take you probably about 20 minutes to go through uh, that will zero in on potential problems, issues or areas that you can smooth over in your game design. Um, and it's broken into four sections. There's clarity, accessibility, theme, and design. Um, if there's any particular area you want to focus on, Jason, uh, we're more, I'm more than happy to. But for each question, it's just, you know, uh, here's why this question matters, and here's a recommendation based on the output of that question. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, like, I think it's it, it's something that they need to come look at if they want to see Mm -hmm. You know, um, but I mean, one of the things that I loved under clarity that just popped out is like a thing that I learned over time was rules writing is technical. Make sure that everything always like the same phrase about the same thing mm -hmm. always is the same, you know, and I, I would run into this problem of calling something one thing and then calling it something else, which is how I started the process of if I have a deck of cards, I name said deck of cards. Everything has a name so right. that everything <laughs> is always referred to by said name. Um, sometimes the names are silly and not the best, but as long as you have something consistent, it's better than nothing at all. So, um, yeah, so I, that one really popped out to me, um, as like a super easy recommendation that we don't always think about. So when you have several different things in here like this, um, yeah, yeah. So as far as like the the keeping your phrases identical, uh, keeping uh, everything uh, as consistent as possible, one of the things I recommend is if if your game has, for instance, a draw mechanic, just plug draw into your 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 you know um, word finder. Look mm -hmm. at every place where draw shows up. Try to make sure that it reads the same every time. You know, if you have each player draws a card, make sure that somewhere else you don't say all the players draw a card. Because even if it functionally means the same thing, um, players will read it differently each time. Or they will read it, see that it's different, and say, okay, well, why does it read differently here? Is, is the designer saying that we're supposed to be doing something different? 
Right. Um, right. You know, do we all collectively draw a single card as a group and look at that card, or right. do we each get a card still? And that'll that'll help alleviate some of those things just by doing that quick search. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that popped up under theme, and this is the last thing I'll mention, but it just is another good one was, um, the, uh, does your theme draw from a particular culture or community or history? Uh, you should talk to someone who's an expert in that. Even if you already consider yourself an expert in that, um, you know, when, you know, Bez and I had a great conversation about culture last time. And I think that that really speaks to that of like, Mm -hmm consider other people's opinions on that and other people's thoughts on that because um you might be missing something even if it's your own thing um and what a great idea to like why not just do a double check to make yeah, sure it, it's, it it feeds into the exact same you know everybody needs an editor mm-hmm. um you know even if this is your culture uh your community your history you know fact check yourself um you know or if it's not your culture community or history fact check what you're using you know make sure that mm-hmm. you're doing it respectfully um you know i don't fall into the camp of that particular culture is not my culture so it shouldn't appear in any of my work um but generally if i am going to borrow from a culture or use some aspect of a culture one i want somebody who is of that culture to be part of the work and two i want to make some kind of statement about that culture and why it was important to draw from that versus wherever else i could have drawn from mm-hmm. you know um it's not it's not enough to say well i drew from that because it made sense like right because again especially if it's not your culture community or history right. um what makes sense to you may not be accurate to that culture you know um and especially like as we start to look at things with Mm-hmm. more open eyes you start to realize that there are things that are shaded uh with a particular point of view that we yeah. may not you know realize um you know uh for me one of the big ones is the idea of the lost uh the 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 like the lost culture in in a you know deep jungle and mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from you know white explorers finding giant temples um, there are a bunch of people around those temples, but because they viewed those people uh, as so, you know, right, unequipped right. for society, they were like, well, there's no way these people made these temples, so right. this must be some lost society. Right. Um, or and... the idea that it wasn't even lost. People knew it was right. there all the time. Right. I just literally just write a book about this where they're like, I found this place. And they're like, like the person's like, I found Machu Picchu. And they're like, literally, there were farmers living there when you found it. Right. Like, <laughs> you didn't find it yeah yeah and and like even like we look at like what we would call westerns you know in 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 tv and movies and Mm -hmm. like that still comes from a certain perspective Mm -hmm. uh you know a a you know east of the west kind of perspective and so paying attention to that paying attention to the um point of view that you bring to your game uh is really really important and uh mm-hmm. you know it's one of those um we, we were ha- i was i i don't remember who i was having this conversation with but but the topic of ai came up recently and i said you know however you feel about it ethically you know whatever um not whatever but uh however you feel about it ethically ultimately if you use ai there's a lot more people that are going to come down on the side of i will never participate in your business in your product because you used ai then there are people right. that are like oh man ai that's an instant buy for me 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same. <laughs> right? No one really ever says that. <laughs> right, right. AI? So like, oh, definitely, I will always buy that. Yeah. So, so like, whatever your ethical decision making surrounding AI, if you use AI, you are making a choice to alienate and and um, potentially anger a certain part of the community that will never buy your products as a result. And it's the same thing for using a culture uh, or community or history um, recklessly. Like there's a certain amount Mm -hmm. of people out there that will be very upset, that will be very disappointed, that will be um, frustrated. And then there's other people that won't care one way or the other, but you're not going to have very many people that are like, I'm really glad that you brought a terrible perspective to this, uh, to, to your game. I'm going to buy it because of that. (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. Well, again, listeners, if you want to check this out, it is jackrosetree.wixsite.com. If you're not familiar with Wix site, it's W I X S I T E. Um, I would love, uh, first of all, thank you for having this discussion. I think this is a really good discussion. Um, I would love if you wanted to um, give us a slightly longer elevator pitch of it's comp- it's too complicated um, <laughs> as your game pitch, unless you've got something else you'd like to share, which would also be fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so so the website that I'm building for the editorial services is um, at the moment still under construction, but it's also going to have um, the plan is uh, to post a few blogs about um, writing and rule books. Um, I'm I'm going to cover topics like you know when does a pamphlet become a rule book uh, and vice versa, um, uh, tools for how you can write that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So that you know, let's say that you're not somebody who can who is interested in or wants to afford my services. Um, there will still be tools at the website that will provide you with some help uh, in writing and uh, editing your own rule books. Um, that's something mm-hmm. that I want to bring to the industry. It's something I want to share because I think it is important that we improve the quality of uh, what we put out there. Um, and then uh, as far as it's too complicated uh, at the moment, it is uh, it's publicly available through my screen top. Um, it's still got some work to do, but it is a, a two player heavyweight game uh, where you use Mancala style movement around a board uh, to select your actions and collect resources. Uh, And all of this feeds out into a bunch of broad uh, Euro style mechanics like um, territory control on a, on a massive uh, map and a uh, technology board and whatnot. Uh, And then all of that feeds into a bingo board. And when you get a bingo, you win. (laughs) Oh, I just love it. I love how it goes from simple <laughs> to super complicated to bingo. Yep. <laughs> I love that. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on the show. I uh yeah, I enjoyed this discussion. This was a lot of fun. It's always it was, good to have you here. Yeah, it was it was a lot of, all over the place, but yes. uh, hopefully it's been helpful and uh hopefully uh you know, uh, if any of your listeners have questions or anything, um, I am in the Building the Game Discord. I'm always happy to jump in and uh, participate. Yeah, no, appreciate that. Yeah, and um, listeners, as always, come to the Discord and chat with us. If you go to buildinggamepodcast.com, you can, of course, find the link to the Discord. Or you can just email us your thoughts at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. But it would really be better if you came and joined the Discord. It's a great group, and we have a lot of fun there. Um other than your um, website, Jack, are there other places people should reach out to get in touch with you? 
yeah. Um, I'm I'm on most social media. I don't. Uh, I'm not super active, but you can find me through Facebook. Uh, 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 Blue Sky, the thing that Blue Sky is based on, um, and uh, Discord. Um, I tend to be most active on Discord, so uh, that is usually the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's true. That's how I always get a hold of you, and it always works. So, yeah. um, I also want to throw out. I, I so I, I I'm still building the website. It looks like the the Wix site uh, URL that you were giving doesn't totally work. Uh, so uh, I will give you a link that you can throw into the doobly doo uh, so people can follow it if they're interested. Sure. Um, sounds at good. some point, hopefully, I'll have a, a cleaner URL for that. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I already told you how to get in touch with us. I'm not going to repeat that again because it's a lot of words. Um, But the best way to get in touch with us is to just keep coming back every single week. And until next time, good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.